Hey guys, this is Devin Hoffman, Fargo Shields hunting expert, and you're listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and today we're going to be talking waterfall and capturing outdoor experiences through photography and video. We're joined by Shields expert Devin Hoffman, who lives and breathes waterfall and literally just got out of the blind from a morning goose hunt. Devin, thank you for joining us today. First of all, how'd your hunt go? It went pretty well. Uh, we didn't have high expectations, especially last night. It was raining. Um, probably ran about eight hours yesterday. The birds basically didn't leave the field from the morning. We even went there last night, scouted it. There was probably a right around 300 geese. Come this morning when we get out in the field, we didn't have too much of ex- expectations because of the wind. Uh, we probably had about 125, 150 geese show back up. Uh, we luckily had a couple good groups that did it right about 10 to 15 yards. So we got about a basically seven to nine birds average for three guys of groups. So that was a nice little triples and stuff like that. Um, another thing was like, especially where we hunt around, we had other guys hunting north of us. So we're basically pushing birds back and forth all day long. Uh, luckily... It was one of those things, no wind, rain all yesterday, birds basically stayed on the water. More than likely they're going to go back out this evening and feed heavy for the next morning. So hopefully we can get them out tomorrow morning again because I'm going to be going out tomorrow morning. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Well, glad to hear you had some success. You know, like what can you uh, what can you credit your success on? Is it like your your uh, preparation for it, your scouting, your yeah. hide, your decoy setup, just a combination of it all? It's one of those things. Uh, the biggest thing I take advantage of is the hide, especially nowadays geese. They're basically butting up in the middle of the fields and on edges. Uh, I would rather pick hide over the X. That's just me because one of those things, when geese come into the field, we saw it this morning. We weren't really on the X, but we had the hide, and the birds that came in actually did it well. But it was one of those things like past hunts, we've tried to hunt the X with no good hide. And our luck went from zero to 10 birds, 15 birds. Like not a lot of birds are coming back in and basically cooperating with us, especially over the hide. Okay, gotcha. And now, you know, like there's going to be people that are, you know, listen to this that are diehard waterfall yeah. and, and completely understand what the X is. But for, yep. you know, those people that, that listen to this podcast, we got a variety of stuff on here oh. that don't know what the X is. Can you explain that for us? Yeah. So the X is amazingly where we see the birds the night of. Uh, so we do a lot of morning hunts and it may be an evening sit sometimes, but it's more, more likely mornings. So, like, last night we saw them on the edge row. So, basically, they're probably 50, 60 yards from the bean field. We were hunting a barley field this morning. Uh, the one thing that we basically did was we tucked the layout blinds right into the beans. So, we basically got the hide. But it was one of those things, 
the X is where the birds were the night of. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't stress it enough. We've seen it. Me personally, last couple of weeks of hunting, the X has been where the birds mainly are going to go the next morning. You'll see them if you're not on them. They'll probably land 100, 200, 300 yards downwind of you. Yeah. Especially they know where they were the night before, and you'll see. Biggest thing is like we look for a lot of like down feathers, especially when they ruffle the feathers from landing and stuff like that. That's mainly showing me that's where I need to be the next morning. Okay, that makes sense. So like you're you're physically going out to the fields and looking for these down feathers. Like when when are you doing that exactly? So I usually do it. So I use onyx a lot to mm-hmm. my advantage. So I usually pin the area that I see them the night of. So it makes it easier for me in the morning. So like this morning we pinned it and we basically drove right up on where they were the night of. So that was a kind of a cool thing because we didn't have to look with flashlights or stuff like that for down feathers. Uh, another thing was uh, we've hunted the field two weeks ago. So they were using the same spot two weeks ago that they were this morning. So that basically played a role. I don't know if it was one of those things from combining, stuff like that, grain cart, spill, stuff like that. I just couldn't tell you, but they were basically using three to four swaths in that barley field. Okay. Interesting. So, um, question for you, when you're, when you're trying to figure out where to set up, say you're starting like square one, you don't know the area. So you're you're coming in from a different state or driving different distances. What do you look for in a field or a place where you want to set up? So the one thing is hide. Uh, Another thing is basically if I can do anything outside of the field, basically a fence row, anything like that, because it's one of those things, if you're hunting with a big group, it's hard to hide 8, 10, 12 layouts in the middle of the field. So if you could push them up into like a fence row or like a hedge row, where we hunt, there's a lot of rock piles. So basically the rock pile will be out in the middle of the field. You could push blinds into it. So like, especially if you're coming up here, hide. And another thing is make sure we'll go like off, but like how far the birds are from the roost. So like that's another big thing that I look for is especially this morning, our birds were roosting about a mile, mile and a half, two different bodies of water. So that was a nice thing that they were trickling both. Uh, another thing that we ran into a couple weeks ago was we had birds come from one, one group of water. And a lot of people know Canada geese are followers. If one bird goes one way, the rest of them go that way. Mm-hmm. And we witnessed that two weeks ago, actually, we were hunting a feed that had probably 225. We saw the first bird get off the roost, went south. Every single bird off that roost went south that morning. Yeah, that that can just be a blessing or a curse. Yeah, you know? like exactly. If they're, if they're coming at you, like, get ready. Yeah. It's going to be a day. But and otherwise, then, like, it can just be one of the most frustrating oh, things in the world. Like, you see them all landing in a field, and yeah. you just think that you got it in the bag, and then yeah. all of a sudden they're headed the opposite direction to a you different field. A, and yeah. Then, yeah, like, two minutes later, you just hear <laughs> blasting from another group. It's like, man, that could have been me. Yeah, no, it's uh, actually, like, in that area, like, there's only a couple fields off, so that's kind of the nice thing that we don't have to worry about. But when we go, like, out west more, there's a whole bunch of grain fields off. So, like, we've, we've actually witnessed that. It was we hunted the night of, the evening, and then we scouted the morning, and then we're going to hunt the evening again. Mm-hmm. That morning, that's where they went 
from where we hunted the next previous evening. So they didn't even go where we were supposed to be setting up on the X. They jumped the field and they swapped. They switched morning feeds to evening feeds. Okay, interesting. Um, it, do you ever find that, you know, like say you're scouting an area and they're landing in a certain field, but like a little bit closer to where you expect them to roost, they're like combining that field. Yeah. Will you will you find that that fresh that freshly cut stuff will ever trump the X? Uh, yes and no, especially corn. Like that's the biggest thing when we run later in the season, like especially when beans get off and then corn get off. Like we have a lot of corn in our area now, so anything corn that gets off early, like early October, stuff like that, that'll be the X for basically October, November, December. Okay, so if you're going to prioritize field types, like what would be your like one, two, three, four? Uh, especially early seasons can be barley or wheat. Uh, probably later September, October, especially when ducks open, probably beans. Beans, one of the things about beans is ducks love beans a lot more than they do wheat just because there's more like out there for them to grab on and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing is like when you go into like November, corn. Every bird loves corn. It's hard to push late season birds into wheat from especially Canada. Like I went to Canada two years ago. All we hunted was wheat fields. They don't get corn up there. So when corn, when they come down from Canada and they see corn, they're basically going to be feeding that corn for the next yeah. couple of weeks. I suppose it's like, oh, man, we've been waiting six months yeah. for stuff like this. <laughs> Get ourselves a little, <laughs> little candy treat. Yeah. And especially, like, cold. That's what drives them, too. Like, we'll see it, especially in October and stuff like that, early November. Like, birds will feed in the wheat fields. But if you get a cold front next couple of days you'll actually see him transition to a cornfield mm -hmm. i don't know if it's just one of those things for like more of a food abundance because especially wheat's going to be off early august to always end of season corn is off october so it's like there's a lot of birds that are already feeding in august september and those early wheat fields mm -hmm. gotcha so, you know, you've given some great examples of, uh, you know, current hunting situations. Uh, I'm curious about, like, weather this year. How yeah. is it How is it affecting your strategy? You know, like, because we've been in some, some pretty good drought conditions yeah. for a while. Yeah. And then now, like, in this area, we've been getting hit with a lot of rain. Yep. So um, what's, your, what's your perspective on that? So, actually... The two areas that we mainly focus on, we actually had one of our biggest sloughs dry up. So now there's no water. Uh, so that kind of scared me, especially scouting in August and stuff like that, getting ready for season, prepping and stuff like that. Uh, luckily, the birds actually transitioned to the slough north of it a couple miles. They really hardly never use it because it is a, basically a deeper one, especially ducks and geese. They like that shallow water, back bays, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So luckily they transitioned to the north one. So we do have a bunch of birds around that area still. But it's one of those things. I've had buddies out west and they said everything's basically dried. Except big lakes, like ravine cuts into the like, side of a slough and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's one of those things. I'm hoping out west gets more rain. But around here we're getting plenty of rain. So we got birds in Fargo so we can hunt. Okay, nice. Yep. So, so 
like realistically it's kind of congregating them isn't it, it does, is, it, does yeah. that make it easier to hunt them do you find that they travel a little bit farther to fields now they do yeah it is it is easier to hunt but it's also one of those things less water means less birds per water so it's one of those things if all these birds are coming from one area and there's one feed there's gonna be multiple other hunters looking at that one feed mm-hmm. we've ran into the problem it's bound to happen especially in the waterfowl industry you're going to meet up with new people you're mainly going to ask if you can hunt with them probably 95 percent of the time they're going to be like hey heck join us you know what i mean we'll meet new friends i've met hundreds of people doing that mm-hmm. and it's one of those things but nowadays especially coming october november when colder temps are coming it does frightening me because freeze up especially not that much water anymore they're going to basically pushing the big lakes Big lakes mean a lot more people are going to be coming around targeting big lakes. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things that you just, it, it's a marble. You're just basically rolling it down and hopefully it lands in your basically hole. Yeah. You just kind of got to play the, play the hand that you're dealt there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like it's one of those things last couple of days we've, we've seen some weird stuff happen uh, from birds sitting on water all day from birds picking up and leaving on a Monday that's 85 degrees. Like we just, I don't know if it's big, like a big part of like the weather. Cause like we have had two weeks ago, we had that big rain front come through mm-hmm. and our birds kind of got a little iffy. We had birds that picked up and left and then we had new birds push in from the north. So that was kind of a plus because we're hunting different birds then. But it's also, then you're losing birds. So now you're hoping that more push in yeah. throughout the like the weather systems and stuff like that mm-hmm. how does uh how does this year affect the migration what are your thoughts on that i'm really worried especially ducks uh out west basically that's basically duck sanctuary all the potholes and stuff like out there uh come october november even december there's gonna be thousands and thousands of ducks out there now it being dry up it's hard to even say because it's one of those things, especially seeing how the Canada geese are doing, like they're doing good because of like the big water situations and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of those ducks feed on insects in the middle of the day, like bugs in the water, backway weeds and stuff like that. Um, especially if that's not abundant to them anymore. I've heard people think that the ducks are basically gonna fly by. I hope that's not the case, but we just don't know until October or November pushes through. Yeah, that makes sense. I was I was really curious about that same yeah. thing. You know, like I, I don't do a ton of waterfall hunting. Yep. I need to do more. I need to ask to take along with you apparently yeah, since sure. you're just sure. morning hunt. I oh, just crushed 30 and, you know, came back and I'm doing a podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. Oh, so what uh, what initially got you into waterfall hunting? Uh, it was actually like my older brother. So back in the day, uh, my brother used to do a lot of Canada geese hunting and stuff like that on our, basically my grandpa's farm. Uh, the one thing that he did was he brought me and he made me, I started early middle school, seventh, eighth grade, stuff like that. Uh, he made my mom skip, make me skip classes for him to shoot more birds basically. And the witness <laughs> that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and then it basically hooked like ever since that like the first couple of times it's an adrenaline rush mm-hmm. and uh it's hard to like on your days off not go out and try to 
basically bag a couple more geese or see what, what they're doing, you know what I mean? Like, I've done multiple days. Last year, I'll just go out and look for birds. Won't even hunt them the next morning. It's one of those things that's kind of a cool thing to target, especially, like, for taking pictures and stuff like that. Uh, I'm always basically trying to stay around the waterfowl as much as I can from spring to freeze up to fall in Canada and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of a nice segue into the the filming photography portion yeah. of it. Um, you know, how did how did you get into filming and photographing all of your <laughs> adventures? So I had a uh, in high school. There was a uh, guy named Connor Neva, and he was really big in like the waterfowl industry. Uh, he went to the same high school I went to. Uh, he basically picked up a camera and started taking some phenomenal pictures. Uh, as well as things like me being a freshman. I was like, oh, dude, that's sweet. I do the same thing he does. Like, I waterfowl hunt. I have the same passion. And that freshman year, I bought a camera. And ever since that, I probably never put a camera down since then. I've been, camera sits in my truck every single day, basically. Bring it in home at night, put it back in the truck the next morning. Because you just never know. You never know what you're going to see on the road. Uh, like, especially like whitetail or a bird of a lifetime. Like last year, I saw a swan had a collar on it didn't have my camera oh man so it was one of those things so now i'm like i trained myself i'm like devin make sure i bring my camera every single time because it's one of those things like photographing ducks in a pond is probably one of my favorite things to do over shooting them Mm it's just one of those things like especially in the spring especially snow goose speckle ballets and stuff like that just like the more abundance of birds that come through the flyway uh videography and those guys are pretty sweet oh i believe it not even like shooting them just witnessing them come in stuff like that especially specs like snow goose hunting mm-hmm. you can't shoot them in the spring but you could de- definitely take some photos of them and you see some pretty wild stuff come in the springtime in the decoy spread yeah i believe that just the quantity of birds yes yes it's just for anyone that hasn't gone snow goose hunting it's oh it's quite an experience it is but it's a lot of work it's one of those things i've never got full into snow goose hunting i like more like the ducks and canadas and stuff like that but i got some friends that are diehard snow goose hunters and it's pretty mm-hmm. crazy what they put out yeah, it's a, you know, waterfall hunters are just kind of a different breed. Like it's a, it's a demanding, it is, it's yeah. a demanding activity. You know, like you're getting up at three in the morning, you're going out, you're putting out two, three, four, five dozen decoys, yep. you know, putting out your blinds. So, I mean, with all that work, like what keeps you into it? What still fuels that passion? It's one of those things like this morning, what fueled it was we had, basically 25 geese that landed 15, 20 yards. And just seeing how they like me blowing the call and them responding to me and stuff like that. Or like the next morning, like the next hunt even, seeing seeing the same thing. It's like a repeat in the back of your brain. And it's one of those things that basically drives it. Like if I could waterfowl hunt 90 days a year, I would definitely do it. Like Mm -hmm. there's just no way I can, but it's one of those things like Ducks are the same thing. We saw a duck show this morning. We probably had 1,500 ducks come in the decoys this morning and land. Oh, wow. So it was one of those things. Like, you just see a whole bunch of different things in the morning. And uh, one of those things, we were taking videos of them this morning. We're taking pictures, like, all that stuff. Uh, just one of those things. It's You see something different every morning. Mm-hmm. It's, there's no mornings that are the same. Like, 
like it's hard to stress it or like even explain it because seeing it like this morning, like the ducks and how the geese didn't cooperate, but we had some cooperate and stuff like that. One group made our whole day. Like even my two buddies were like, dude, that made my day. <laughs> like nice. seeing that many birds come in and actually landing 20, 25 yards, like, and then walking into the decoys. Like, you know, you're doing something right if you're doing that, especially mm -hmm. early season. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And there's just, there's just something about those outdoor experiences, you know, like you can, you can go out hunting or you can go out fishing like a hundred times and do basically the same thing, same but thing. you know, each one's still a brand new experience. It is. You know, something different is going to happen. They're wild animals. They're yeah. going to act differently <laughs> oh, yeah. from day to day. They surely do. So, you know, for, for somebody that wants to get into like doing photography and filming these outdoor yep. experiences, what, uh, what sort of advice would you give that person? So like the biggest thing is like how many people you hunt with. So I struggled that back in like high school days. Uh, like we used to hunt with like a lot of people, especially if you're lugging around a camera when there's a bunch of blinds and stuff like that, you're just adding extra motion. Um, I, I will admit, I probably flared a bunch of birds, tried to take pictures of them. Mm -hmm. And my buddies would yell at me, hey, get down to the blind, stuff like that. Because it's one of those things when you're hunting with a group of people, there's multiple things those birds could look at from like aspects of blinds, uh, people popping up their heads, stuff like that. Uh, so like the biggest thing, if you start, especially photography, A-frames are the way to go. Like a couple of years ago, I, we started using A-frames. You can do a lot more with them. You can act, I've stay, stood up fully and take pictures of geese landing. And I had Matt Schneider right next to me shooting geese. And I was taking pictures of them. Uh, it's one of those things like, especially hunting out of A-frame, I think you get more out of it for videography mm -hmm. and photography wise. Like it's one of those things like, from like a bird's point of view, they're not looking at a row of stuff. Basically the, what I tell my, my customers and stuff like that, it's basically adding basically a little slew in the field, you know what I mean? Or like a fence line, stuff like that, or adjacent rock pile. Uh, it's one of those things, especially if you could get the hide down for photography and getting into and stuff like that, it's gonna be a heck of a lot easier, not more stressful on your friends trying to kill the birds mm -hmm. versus you trying to take pictures of them, especially being new. Uh, I've, I've witnessed it from snow goose hunting, from up being up in Canada, it's one of those things. It's a lot more stressful being the guy that takes the photos and does the videos than it is the guy that's shooting the birds. Yeah, I suppose it would be. Yeah, I find I find those A frames very interesting. Like, yeah. a lot of people will call them game changers, and and yeah. you know, like I remember the first time I saw one, I was like, "How are you gonna hide that sucker?" But it's it's kind of a different mentality versus is, your yeah. versus your standard blind. So, mm -hmm. can you kind of walk through like? why why an a-frame is as good as it is yeah so like what we've been seeing especially been when we started using them so like we'll use them in like a bean field and we'll get a bunch of kosher and stuff like that and stuff it so like basically what it is it looks like a big tumbleweed uh the biggest thing like about that is is it's a lot easier to hide four guys in one a-frame than putting four layouts in a bean field and stumbling them with I don't even know what I've I haven't found anything that would work for a bean field unless you do kosher and just do four layout blinds in the middle of a bean field with kosher. But it's one of those things. Uh, I put them in the middle of a bean field, wheat field, corn field. I put them in swaths 
hay bale fields. We've moved hay bales together and make it look like a hay bale. Mm -hmm. uh, there are just so much things you can do with it, especially four people. That's what it fits versus yeah. four layouts. So like, especially like me and Matt started getting into it, especially for like talking right next to each other. Like we'll go back and forth and take photos. So like that's a cool thing, especially like now we can't shoot ducks. So like a whole bunch of ducks come in, we could look at our photos together and stuff like that. It's a more like uh, you could talk to your friends, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of one of those cool things like I've landed birds closer to an A-frame in the middle of a field than I have with a layout. And I've done a lot with layouts and I've had a lot of birds land pretty close, but it's one of those things. That bird that comes in that field hides your number one priority, especially if you don't have good hide. And if you put an A-frame out there with kosha or even cattails, like a lot of people do cattails and hedgerows and like up in Canada, they do trees actually. Really? Yeah, they'll put tree branches in there. And it's one of those things that's crazy to see, but it's actually more crazy to see what comes out of that hunt mm -hmm. for like what they actually got like for like success uh, versus like if they would have did layouts. You know what I mean? That's pretty hard to move four uh, layouts across the field than one A-frame, especially if you have to pick up the spread and change it because of the wind change. Or if you're looking into the sun and a guy on the far left doesn't want to look in the sun, so you have to tilt the blind a little bit. Yeah, A lot easier to utilize that A-frame than four layouts. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. You know, like, I, I didn't even think about that, like yep. having to shift mid-hunt or something like yep. that. You know, digging those blinds and, and moving them and shifting versus, yeah. like, hey, you grab that side, I'll grab this side, and, and like, four seconds later, yeah. you're back to hunting. And, and then basically shooting more birds. It's yeah. one of those things. Uh, it's crazy to actually think about that, like what the waterfall industry is changing into. Like, there's new products coming out every year, and it's kind of mm -hmm. it's gonna be crazy to see what the next couple of years are gonna bring for like new product wise and stuff like that. Because it can be hard to beat an A-frame. It yep. is. It is. Uh, so many people are getting into it. We see it in the store. Uh, we probably sell a lot more for like people like family. And their dog, they want to bring their dog along or they want to bring yep. their kids along. All of them fit into one. Yeah, so I mean, and you can do, and you just sit in those, you know, yep. like you're right next to each other. It's it's easier to get up and shoot. It's, yep. yeah, it's just, they're, they're a pretty cool tool. You know, in terms of like new technology and efficiencies and stuff like that, um, you know, the one kind of pops out to me and it's not like new technology it's kind of like bringing back the old school stuff yeah and that's uh that's the silhouette decoys yeah so you know i think there was kind of like a, a transition there like you know starting with silhouettes and moving to these full bodies and moving yeah. to flocked and yeah. moving to like crazy expansive decoys and yep. then all of a sudden like you see people using a bunch of silhouettes now with yep. success like yep. what are, what are your thoughts on the on the silhouettes so we actually switched completely to silhouettes. Uh, we used to have 15 dozen avians, and then basically we just started dispersing them and selling them away. To 15 dozen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. <laughs> Jeez, you need like two or three trailers to handle all that. It feels like that some days, especially with when you hunt with a bunch of people. Uh, and we switched to silhouettes mainly. Uh, we still got some full bodies around, but it's one of those things, uh, two years ago with the rain, that basically driven a nail in the back of my head that silhouettes are a lot easier to bring in and out of a field if it's wet than carrying handfuls of full bodies. 
Oh, absolutely. Especially early morning, and then you got six or seven people, and then you're dragging layouts or A-frames across the field, and then everyone has to go grab six to eight decoys and bring them out there. Versus, like, now me and Matt run 55 dozen silhouettes. So we've got only, what is it, 14 bags that go around your back, and then you could basically carry 15 dozen out at a time. That's wild. Yeah, so it's Absolutely one of those things. Wild. It's a game changer. Yeah. So how do you uh, how do you set up those decoys? Like, what's your what does your layout of your decoys look like? So, like the biggest thing, especially like with silhouettes, I'm just trying to mimic what I've seen the night before because it's one of those things. I can make a silhouette look like multiple different geese from their point of view, especially if they're flying over and they're looking down. Like, if the silhouette's straight on with you, you're not going to see it. Mm-hmm. If it's sideways, you're going to see it. So it's one of those things I basically do half and half. Uh, like you, I'll do like a five pack and I'll put three of them facing like east and west and I'll do two of them north and south. And it's one of those things like it basically break in, breaks up to basically, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, it basically breaks up the spread, especially mm-hmm. if you had like full bodies mixed in and stuff like that. Like I can make... 20 dozen silhouettes basically seem bigger than like a full body spread just because if you go around the spread you're seeing different poses and stuff like that versus like a full body you're seeing the full body itself all the way around the decoy yeah that makes sense so how do you know like how many decoys you want to put out and how does that evolve through this throughout the season too yeah so like especially like now like we're not really seeing like big big numbers yet, uh, so we usually do like ten to fifteen on a normal morning. Ten, so basically three bags of decoys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, and you ten to fifteen dozen. You're talking ten to fifteen dozen. Yep. Okay. So like that's what we usually do, especially our pickup time and our put out time. It's fifteen minutes for fifteen dozen. Mm-hmm. Three people, basically all of them have stands up top. You just grab them, push them in, go to the next one. It's basically quick and easy. And especially like what we went to earlier, like talking about A-frames, it's a lot more easy to move a bunch of silhouettes than it is a bunch of full bodies. Oh, definitely. Especially if like the wind changes or something like that. Uh, like, But I, I saw buddies that swear by full bodies, and I got buddies that swear by silhouettes. It's kind of one of those things like what you talked about back in the day. It was full bodies and then fully flocked and now I went to the expense of and now it's kind of pushing back to silhouettes and it's like what's going to happen three four years from now is it going to go back to full bodies like we just don't know mm-hmm. it's basically a trend uh, I think I'll probably always stay with the silhouette just because I just get more out of it yeah uh, especially this morning like it rained yesterday and we basically had a dr- we drove basically a hundred yards into the field and we had a walk Three blinds, a dog blind, and three bags, and it took us two uh, two passes. Versus if we would have done that with full bodies, it would have took us... It took you about six. Yeah. <laughs> and then picking up would have took us even longer. So it was one of those things. Uh, I just We just get more out of it. That's mm-hmm. what we see, especially the birds are basically they're responding to them. And uh, come October, November, like we'll put out some crazy spreads. Like I'm talking 80 dozen 
90 dozen decoys. That's wild. Yeah. So like, we'll, that's we'll a get, lot of birds, <laughs> man. A lot of birds. That's a, that's a lot of money investing in something yeah. like that too. So say for somebody that, you know, is interested in waterfall, wants yep. to get into it, um, but can't just go out and drop money on yeah. 90 dozen decoys. Yeah. Like what's a, what's like a minimum where you feel you'd be comfortable getting out there and think you can be effective? So like my minimum, like especially for like silhouettes, you do definitely eight to ten dozen, even fifteen. Like I've me and Matt ran fifteen dozen last year in November, and we had the same outcome that we did in early like August. Uh, it's one of those things. It's basically how the birds feel though. Like if there's, oh, we hunted some big feeds last year that had probably six, seven thousand honkers in it. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to get as much out in that field as possible because if they're coming back, they know how many birds were in there that night of. Yeah. So you're basically trying to mimic what they seen the night before. Um, but it's one of those things, a lot of those birds like smaller feeds. Like we've seen it. Uh, we've had birds jump from the X over the road because there's 40 birds that landed over on the other side of the road. And it's one of those things like you can mimic that, like just put out 10 dozen of them. Mm-hmm. And, like, we've had guys that will, like, run traffic from the X. Like, if they can't get on the X, they'll probably hunt a feed in between the roost and the X. Uh, it's one of those things that mainly when they do that, they're going to push out a lot of decoys. And we've seen it last year, like, 110 dozen. But we had 14 people, so it was one of those things on yeah. A-frames. So it was, like, one of those things, like, you have to stretch out as much decoys for 14 people. Like, it's one of those things. Yep. So, I mean, like, say you say you can only get, like, two or three dozen, you know, yeah. like you're just starting. Like, oh. how, would, how would you lay those out to make it look like as big a spread as possible? So, like, the biggest thing, you could make, like, big family groups. Like, especially, like, when we started out, we only had seven dozen silhouettes because we bought them as, like, single dozens and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The company that we run with now, we can buy them as five dozens as a pack, so that's kind of nice. But especially if you have three, four, five dozen, spreading them out is your friend. It basically brings more attention to you because you could basically make three dozen turn into seven dozen, eight dozen, Mm -hmm. just spreading them out, make the spread look a little bit bigger. And it's one of those things, like, we've seen it. Like, we've had guys hunt the field south of us or something like that last year and they've only set up five to seven dozen and they had a better outcome than we did but it's one of those things like some birds like the smaller feeds some birds like the more aggressive when they see it they know that they want to be there they know that there's feed in there but then there's some that are different like you were talking about it's a it's a bird you don't know what it's going to do the next morning (laughs) And it's, we can't stress it enough. It's one of those things, like, you put your time into it. Uh, me and Matt, we scouted probably five days before opener, and we struck out and then finally found one the night of. So it was one of those things, uh, it all depends on what you put into the game What is what you're going to get out of it, mm-hmm. Like especially, like, time. Yeah, for sure. And then, so when you're, when you've got your decoy set up all there what where do you like to place your blinds like obviously you want it to be hidden in the best spot but if like if that's not really a factor like where are you setting your blind are you setting them like you know like 
closer to the to the upwind side yeah. or are you going to the side or are you going right in the middle so basically what we're doing is if we do say we're hunting like a north wind so we're facing south uh we'll basically put the blinds probably 10 to 15 yards behind the like the first silhouette mm-hmm. and that puts the silhouettes in front of us like we won't put them around us it's one of those things we've tried it and it's it's worked but we were kind of seeing that more birds are keying in on when the birds look at in the spread, they see that there's birds next to the blinds. And the biggest thing that we've had problems with is they kind of pick us out, especially yeah. like when you go shoot a flock and you run in back into the blind and you cover up and there's silhouettes right around you. They already know that that's where it's come from. Like mm-hmm. they're in the spread that blind is. So like, especially like this morning when we did the edro hunt, uh, we we were probably 15, 20 yards from the first decoy and then basically made an adjacent J and we didn't have a problem, but it was one of those things we didn't see nearly as much as birds as we did. Yeah. Uh, but it was one of those things like I A-frames are the same thing. If you put it in the spread, you, you're, you might kill. It's one of those things. That, but for being consistent and stuff like that, outside of the spread, you're going to see more outcome and more like success, especially like bigger flocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen it multiple times this year. Like we were a little bit too close to decoy spread. The birds will get probably 70, 60 yards in coming and then they'll pick up. Why? Because they're looking into the spread and they're seeing six layouts inside the spread. Yeah. And it's one of those things, especially if we're hunting a low stubble barley field and we're doing, we're trying to find what we could hide. Like if it even if it's kosher or something like that, we'll push it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it just comes down to like margin for error on yep. that. You know, like if uh, if you got your flock, you know, locked in, getting ready to drop, and you know somebody moves their head or something, yeah. if they're looking at that decoy spread and and you know right next to it is the blind, yep. like you can't move. They're going to pick that up. But mm-hmm. if you're if you're to the side, you're not in their like direct field yep. of vision where they're going to land, you're yep. going to have a lot more room for error and, yeah. you know, and a lot less birds picking you off. Like, and especially like shooting them sideways, like crosswind. So like we've done that multiple times and especially if we know we can get away with it. Um, we did it, what is it today? Tuesday, last Wednesday we did it with Matt. So we actually shot them sideways. So it was a Northwest wind and we were facing South. So we're North and South and they were coming in from basically our left shoulder, and we couldn't put it in the, the decoys because one of those things, then they'd, they'd look down the blinds and stuff like that. So we pushed it out of the spread a little bit, and we didn't have a zero problem. Every bird that came in was basically cupping up and landing on the west side. So we were basically shooting when they're coming across the spread. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things, it's a lot easier to do that than to target them head on. Uh, it's one of those things, especially nowadays, they're kind of getting really smart with the no water situation. The birds are coming from the same roost that you shot them two days ago from. So they they know what was in the field the night of and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's kind of like a cat and mouse game. You're trying to trick them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they trick you and they go the other direction. But it's one of those things. Uh, it's like a 50-50 uh, yeah. You just never know what's going to happen. Yeah, they may have a brain the size of a pea, but they, they'll definitely <laughs> no, yeah. outsmart you. <laughs> uh, very stressful, too, when they do it. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so one thing we haven't really talked about is uh, is calling calling strategy. So what uh, what do you like to do now, which is you know early season versus uh, as the season progresses? Yeah, so basically what we do is we actually like so last night the birds weren't really vocal. Uh, we probably watched them for an hour and a half, and especially like when they come in the spread, not even the spread, like the field that night of of we weren't hearing anything. Like they were basically dead quiet. Uh, maybe a couple would honk and stuff like that. But we basically put that into consideration the next morning. Uh, this morning we actually had no calling going on. Like maybe a couple honks, stuff like that. And they were basically mimicking what we were seeing last night. It's one of those things over calling pushes early season birds away, I feel like. Uh, especially like if you've been hunting them a bunch. Uh, it's one of those things like we've seen it from even late season to like early season. Uh, I don't even know how to explain it. I'll just go back from like this morning wise. Um, we had a two pack that came in. They're both honking and stuff like that, moaning. Uh, we tried to do the same thing. They didn't like it. Why? I couldn't tell you. Uh, but then we had that big flock that I was talking about earlier and none of them were honking and stuff like that. And we didn't even blow a call. So I basically read the situation. If they're basically vocal, I will respond. If they're not, I'll maybe give them a couple honks, stuff like that, maybe a moan, stuff like that. But it's one of those things, I don't want to push them out of the decoys, especially if they're not vocalized coming into the decoys. Mm-hmm. And then as the season progresses, do you find yourself calling more, calling less? Uh, definitely calling more. Uh, your throat gets pretty sore come November, stuff like that. Especially if you're hunting five, six, seven, eight thousand birds, like a lot of those birds are going to be vocal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen it. Uh, it's it's hard to mimic them because it's one of those things you're talking about a thousand geese that come in at once. Yeah, and you got four or five guys on calls and stuff like that. You're not going to sound like them, but if you can at least do like. Your clucks, your mullins, your stuff like that. It's going to be one of those things. At least it gives them some depth and consideration that, hey, the, this is where I want to be. And especially running a big spread, more noise is the better, I feel like. Mm-hmm. It's basically one of those things like you were talking about, like eye candy and stuff like that. Uh, we see it, especially November, when freeze-up happens. Those birds that are coming in, they know they want there and they want to be there. So if you basically do everything right, you don't have a problem 10, 15 yards, even landing them. Matt almost got one last year at two feet, something like that. So, like, they were getting pretty close to us last fall. Yeah, I think that qualifies as pretty close. Yeah, so it was one of those things. We basically just played by ear. Uh, some flocks are different, though. Like, we've had some groups that are coming silent, and we do get on them a little bit, and they will pattern a little bit better, and they'll basically group up. And then they'll, but I don't know how, like, how to explain it, but they'll basically try to land. But it's one of those things, like, if you don't call and they're being quiet, they have a good tendency of short-stopping you, landing mm-hmm. you in the middle of the field or a couple hundred yards downwind to you and stuff like that. So it's one of those things. You basically have to visualize it. Yeah. And you have to make that last-second adjustment. Should we call or not? Because if you don't, they might come in. But if you do, you might push them out. It's just mm-hmm. one of those things. You have to play it by ear. Yeah, basically just reading the birds and finding yep. that balance point. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's not the easiest thing to do, especially no. if you've never hunted, but it's, uh, 
you know, I think a lot of it's just reading the bird's yep. attitude and mentalities and things like that. Yeah, especially like the night elves. Like I take a big part of that because if they're loud in the field tonight, that night, they're gonna come in the morning, honking and stuff like that, moaning. Like they want to be there. Like last night when we saw them, we weren't seeing what we were. I was hoping to see. Uh, that's probably why a lot of them didn't show up the next morning. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things uh, you can't fully set up on it and know that you're going to basically come out with success and outcome that morning versus like going out there and be like, hey, we're going to shoot this many birds and we're going to do it this way. Like it's you can't make a game plan because yeah. once sunrise happens, those birds have a mind of themselves. Mm-hmm, for sure. I've, I find that dynamic of, uh, of scouting the night before and not only, you know, getting a visual, but listening. Like, yep. I, I obviously, I don't waterfall hunt yeah. a lot. Like, deer season opens up, <laughs> yeah. and I'm just, like, 100% <laughs> gung-ho on, yeah. on whitetails and mule deer. So so generally, waterfall takes a back burner. But, yeah, it's, it's very cool to think of that perspective. You know, like, okay, I got a visual on them, but, okay, they're, they're likely going to come in. There's a good chance, but... What are they doing? How are they acting that yep. day? Calling a lot, not calling a lot, yep. and letting that dictate yep. your at least initial strategy yeah. in the morning. Because it's one of those things like every morning is different, and especially if you're hunting that same couple mile radius, like those birds, they've seen it all, especially being almost 30 days into the season. Like it's one of those things they're seeing people calling, decoys, stuff like that. So it's one of those things if you can get kind of like a in-between stage and get lucky, that's your biggest friend right now. Mm-hmm. So for calling strategies, you know, let's talk just generalizations here. Yeah. When do you when do you start calling at a flock and when do you shut up? So basically when I call is when, if, if they come from behind, I'll basically, basically be, I don't know how to explain it, but like, hey, I'm here. Uh, give them a couple honks, maybe give them a moan, uh, stuff like that. But it's one of those things, if they start getting, like, closer behind, like, if they're on my shoulders, I'm done calling. Uh, it's one of those things, like, if they're on my shoulders, I will let them get past the spread. Uh, I'll, I'll basically let them get maybe 30, 40 yards past the spread, and then I'll start up again because it's one of those things, when they come in, they're playing the wind. And it's one of those things, if I'm honking and clucking and moaning and stuff like that, when they're coming through the spread, it's not one of those goosey feelings. It's one of those yeah, things. Yeah, not really natural. No, it's one of those things because a lot of them, they'll be quiet once they get past the spread. And it's one of those things, the geese will start picking up. You're like, you'll see it when they're feeding at, in the evening of or like if you go and watch them in the morning. Especially where I live, there's a feed probably of 150 geese. So I watch them every morning before I go to work and stuff like that. Uh, like, you'll hear them. They'll let them get past the spread, and then they'll pick up. Like, you'll hear, like, the vocalizations, like the murs and stuff like that come in, and then honking and stuff like that. And then they'll basically turn into the wind, and they'll basically quiet down again because they already know that they're coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, we've seen it. This morning we didn't have much wind, but we had – that big group, and it was one of those things that it got past the spread, came down, we got on them a little bit because they're kind of acting a little funky because they, they didn't come from a sh- corner. They came from, like, left and right. 
that's one of those things we kind of got on him and then we basically just did a couple honks and once you see four or five of them center up you, that means it's go time all 20 of them are coming <laughs> down and it's one of those things that it's an adrenaline rush especially three guys out there uh just hoping to have some fun and making memories and stuff like that and you it's a memory bank uh it's one of those things like it never gets old seeing success when you do it right. It's one of those things, but it's also a lot of failure happens uh, from not decoy placements and stuff like that, mm-hmm. from blind concealment, the wrong wind, or the night of the birds get pushed off by a hawk or stuff like that, or a coyote. Like, you just don't know come the next morning. Like, we've had times that you set up and you're like, wow, this is gonna be fun. No birds come back. It's one of those things, like, you know what I mean? That bird has its mind of himself. Yeah, that's just one of the most devastating feelings. You get yourself, like, the highest of high expectations, yeah. and then you just get nothing. Yeah, especially, like, you're inviting all your friends, you're talking, you're calling them, you're like, dude, it's going to be so much fun. I can't wait to see you, like, back from high school and stuff like that. And then you're in the morning of, and you're like, wow, I probably should have stayed in Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> should have slept in that yeah. day. <laughs> Oh, funny. So, I mean, you're a guy that spent a lot of time in the field, you know, been, been behind the camera and behind the gun quite a bit. I imagine you have a few good stories. So I'd I'd like to hear your favorite waterfall story. Honestly, my favorite one was when I went to Canada two, uh, two years ago for 30 days. Uh, I was up there for 30 days. I hunted with a good friend of mine. Uh, It was one of those things that we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. So the biggest thing when you play with Canada is are the snow geese going to be there when you get show up because you only get a certain amount of days to hunt them. Uh, we went up there, not high expectations. We had a guy that was up by the tree line and stuff like that and was like, hey, we haven't seen any geese, snow geese yet. We were 140 miles south of the tree line. And we're like, oh, all right, um, I guess we'll hunt cranes and stuff like that. Uh, the craziest thing, though, is we put a snow goose out, snow goose spread out, mm-hmm. and then we hunted cranes and stuff like that, and darks and ducks and stuff like that. And we basically, we had seven guys we had the farmer with, and we were shooting cranes, ducks, snows, specks, and everything. But it was one of those things that we watched, oh, gosh, I don't even know, 45, 50,000 snows get pushed down. And we were in one of those areas that a lot of them came to us because, like, migrating and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There was a strong north wind that was up at the tree belt. And I would, I've never limited out on ducks, cranes, specks, snows, candas, all of them in my life. But we did it three days in a row. <laughs> so it was one of those things, that, especially up there, it's 50 birds apiece for snows. Yep. So you're shooting, if you have six guys, you're shooting 300 snows. Um, and it's like, holy, this is a lot of shooting going on. But it's one of those things like you're running out there, grabbing birds, running back. Uh, it's one of those things like that's probably one of my best memories. I wish I could go back for that many more days. But it's one of those things like as a memory standpoint, like it's hard to beat. Yeah, that's just something that you, that like, you don't forget. <laughs> you, you That's like one of those things like you wake up the next morning, you're like, yeah, we're going to do the same thing we did the morning of yesterday, and same thing happened. We were le- leaving the field at 9.30, having breakfast, taking naps, scouting that evening, and doing the same thing the next morning. 
Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things like I've had some good memories like with Matt Schneider. Uh, we went, <laughs> the funniest thing though, probably the funniest story that not a lot of people know about uh, three years ago when that flood was happening, a lot of rain, stuff like that, we were hunting one of our properties where we hunt and uh, the wheat field was kind of flooded and Matt really didn't know how muddy it was. <laughs> and trucking a trailer at 3.30 a.m. in the morning kind of drove into a slough bottom. Oh, boy. <laughs> and it was one of those things. Luckily, we knew the farmers around there. But uh, we thought, oh, this is done. Like, we drove from Fargo. We picked up the trailer. We we were like, oh, this is going to be so much fun because the night of, we saw a bunch of birds out there. Mm-hmm. And then let alone being stuck in the middle of a wheat field 3.30 in the morning with a truck and a trailer and a, basically a swamp. And you're like, wow, we probably should have just stayed back. <laughs> but being that age, we're like, oh, we want to go out and hunt as much as we can, stuff like yeah. that. Uh, funniest thing, though, we got pulled out. Farmer came at like 4.30, pulled us out, and me and Matt looked at each other, and we're like, heck, let's just hunt it. You know what I mean? Like, we're already here. Yeah, got, might as well. We got pulled out. We might as well just hunt it. Uh, we set up the spread, and me and Matt looked at each other. We're like, yeah, this isn't going to go down. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you get that weird feeling, like, this is, it's a bust already or stuff like that. Uh, about an hour and a half later, our first pair of geese came in. And we were hunting, like, over a loaf pond. So we only had probably, I only think me and Matt carried out 11 decoys. Because we Matt was stressed out, I was stressed out, dragging blinds across the field. Like, we were, like, two bags and we're done. Yeah, brought them out there, set them up. Only eleven decoys, and I probably won't see that good of decoying birds probably the rest of my life. Every group that came in that field landed fifteen feet, twenty feet away from us, and we've shot our thirty birds in less than twenty-one minutes. Oh, that's two, wild. Pe- two people. But it's one of those things like they're. Well, they're probably like, man, <laughs> these guys have been through so much crap. We're just going to, we'll cooperate for you today. It is, uh, <laughs> Pity points from the, from the geese. Yeah. And the, the funniest thing is like, we had a school bus drive by earlier in the day and the kids were waving at us and me and Matt were like, sweet. Maybe that gives us a little motivation. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, we're out here. We're doing what we love and stuff like that. And he looked at me and he's like, yeah, this isn't going to work. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I probably don't think. And it's once you get down in yourself that the waterfall industry kind of gets brought up. You know what I mean? Like, we're out here to have fun. Like, you know, it's not all about killing birds, stuff like that. It's more making memories and stuff, like meeting new people. And, like, that day, like, when we left the field, we looked at each other and we're like, how did that go down? Getting stuck in the field at 3.30, getting pulled out, walking half a mile through swamp and stuff like that to set up on this field. And then we shoot our 30 birds. And he looked at me, he's like, yeah, now we have to take the 30 birds back to the de- the trailer and drag them across the field. And he's like, yeah, I wish we would have not shot 30 because it's only six. Now we're making multiple <laughs> more trips for birds. Yeah. But yeah, that's another one of my best memories. Like at my age, I just have too many of them. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things, like, I'm out probably two times a week. So I just see a whole bunch of new things going on. 
uh, from like my cousin shooting his first Canada over the spread with me to like bringing veterans out there. Uh, it's one of those things like as much as you give back to the waterfowl industry, you're going to get in return. Like that's mm-hmm. what I see the most of. Absolutely. And you know, if that isn't a motivator for getting somebody to go out into waterfall, like I have so many memories, I can't remember them all anymore. No. Yeah. Like you got, you got to do that. You got to get out. You got to experience it. It's just, you know, we can talk till we're blue in the face about yeah. how cool it is, but until you actually get out there and experience that, hear the wings whooshing over your head is like 50, 100 or 10,000 snow geese yeah. going over the top of you. Like it's just, it's all, it's indescribable. It's, it's a, you got to be there moment. It is. It's one of those things like we saw it last week. Uh, we took some veterans out and they've never witnessed waterfowl hunting. Uh, and that was one of those things like we had, we shot 35 that day and we picked up and stuff like that. And the guy comes up and he's like, I've never been so jacked in my entire life. Like, that was crazy, like how they're doing that, like acrobatic, how the geese land in like these little pockets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I will definitely become a waterfowl hunter now. Like it's one of those things yeah. like you just, I try to get as many people into it because it's one of those things they're going to try to get many people into it. And it's one of those things that's it's an ongoing growing sport. Like we see it and in store even. A lot of kids come in, oh, hey, I'm buying my first duck call. I'm getting my first set of decoys, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of those things that it, I bring joy in that because I'm selling a new upcoming guy that probably has the same passion I want my age into the waterfall industry. Yeah, that's got to be super cool to see, you it know, is, like yeah. from a from a sales perspective, like just being able to get somebody into it for the first time and yep. like tease them into those experiences and that's one of those things and then their parents come back and they're like oh you should have never sold him that call now he's buying all this stuff i I wonder to myself how many times you get that like you know i appreciate your great customer service but now you just got my son or daughter like completely addicted to waterfall (laughs) and it's like oh yeah it's one of those things but then like i had a kid i started as she was about two years and i sold again a kid had that call two years ago when I was a part-timer and he still comes back and talks to me about it. And he's like, I've never been so excited. Like I play sports and all that, but I'd rather go and shoot geese in the morning. Like mm-hmm. it's one of those things. Like it's kind of cool to see what he's involving into and stuff like that. And he's bringing his friends and his friends are bringing friends. And it's kind of one of those things. Like it's an on growing thing. Cause like, I know plenty of people that will go, in the next morning, but bringing new people, I'd rather pick, you know what I mean? Because then you're showing them something different that they've never seen before. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, Devin, thank you so much for, uh, for your time with us and oh. for sharing all that information and your stories. It's, uh, you know, I've had a great time here, yeah, you know, sure. and you've, you've almost got me tempted to, <laughs> to pick up a shotgun hey, instead of a bow. We could well, definitely get you out there. I'm not worried about that. <laughs> We gotta yeah. work around your deer schedule, though. Yep, there we go. <laughs> got gotta work around the deer schedule. Yeah. I, I got the Badlands this weekend, hey, but for sure, you know, for sure. after that, then I think we maybe find hey, an opening. Maybe a day or two. We could we can figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. So you know, for the people that want to, uh, you know, want to see your photography, wanna wanna hear more, learn more. How to how can someone stay in touch with you or see your work? So it's one of those things like I do a lot of with Instagram and stuff like that. So like. 
my name is Devin Hoffman. That's what my username is on Instagram and stuff like that. Uh, I have a lot of people that hit me up and ask me what we went through today. Like, hey, what should I do with like this decoy setup with this one? And so those things like, it's kind of crazy. I feel like people are asking me for my input. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things like I, at that age, I was asking people that I look up to like nowadays, hey, how should I do this? Hey, I'm hunting this many birds. Should I hunt the X? Should I hunt this? So like I'm more bigger into like the Instagram aspect and I've had people comment on my photos and we hunt together. Like one of those things like, hey, dude, that photo sweet. I'm like, hey, let's go hunt together. Hey, let's do it. Like it's one of those things like mm-hmm. a lot of people hit me up on the, like the Instagram, but that's mainly my main platform. Okay. And then uh, they can see a decent amount of your stuff on the on the Fargo Shields Outdoors page too, yep, right? on the Fargo Short, uh, Shields Outdoors page too. Uh, it's one of those things, uh, you take so many photos and you send them so many photos, so it's hard for them to like post them and stuff like that, but there's still, there's some good ones coming. Yeah. So. Perfect. I'm looking forward to that. And I do have to give the, the Fargo Shields outdoors page a shout out. They have some, they have some great content. Yeah, they do. It's, it's entertaining, you know, seeing like you and Matt and all the other experts, like you can just see how excited and how jacked and how, how knowledgeable you guys are about it too. So it's, uh, it's quickly becoming one of my favorite, favorite, uh, Instagram pages to follow. That's one of those things like, on our days off, we do what we love, and mm-hmm. that's from either fishing, hunting. I do a lot of, like, videography with drones, stuff like that. I'm just getting into it, so, like, I basically try to get a little bit into it, itching in, itching in, itching in, and hopefully use it one day for, like, the Fargo page and stuff like that. So it's one of those things, like, we love what we do, and that's yep. why we work with this company. Yep, absolutely. Yep. So... Again, thank you, and, uh, you know, best of luck with the rest of this waterfall season. I thank you for having me. You just heard our segment on waterfall hunting and photography with Fargo Shields hunting expert, Devin Hoffman. Hopefully this conversation inspires a few of you out there to give waterfall hunting a try for the first time or get back into it. And for those diehard waterfall hunters, make sure to be tagging us on social media at Shields Outdoors so we can see how your season's going and potentially feature you on our Trophy Tuesday stories. Make sure to go out and follow the Fargo Shields Outdoors Instagram page as well so you can see content from Devin and the rest of the Fargo team on hunting, fishing, grilling, and everything else outdoors. If you need any waterfall gear, make sure to visit us online at shields.com or talk to one of our experts in store. We have people just like Devin at all of our locations ready to help get you into whatever gear you need for a successful hunt. And with that, we want to thank you all for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.